welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening session of Sunday the 1st of March 2009, entitled Procuring a Pardon, and the Bible reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55, reading two verses there, verses 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord. He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Father, we thank you again this evening for your word. We pray that in these next moments, Lord, that you would Lord, help the words to come forth that you would have spoken here this evening. Father, you know the hearts of all. Lord, we do not even truly know our own heart many times. Father, we pray that you would speak meet the needs of each and every individual as only you can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Most of you would recognize the name D.L. Moody. Great preacher of the late 1800s, early 1900s. Shoe salesman, if I'm not mistaken. God took and used to shape two continents. Mr. Moody told a story that I'd like to just read to you this evening. He said, when I was in Ohio a few years ago, I was invited to preach in the state prison. 1,100 convicts were brought into the chapel and all sat in front of me. After I got through the preaching, the chaplain said to me, Mr. Moody, I want to tell you of a scene which occurred in this very room. A few years ago, our commissioners went to the governor of the state and got him to promise that he would pardon five men for good behavior. The governor consented with this, understanding that the record was to be kept secret and at the end of six months, the five men highest on the roll should receive a pardon regardless of who they were or what they had done. At the end of six months, the prisoners were all brought into the chapel. The commissioners came. The president stood on the platform and putting his hand in his pocket, he brought out some papers and said, I hold in my hands pardons for five men. The chaplain told me he never witnessed anything like it on earth. Every man was as still as death. Many were deadly pale. The suspense was awful. It seemed as if every heart had ceased to beat. The commissioners started to go on to tell how they had got the pardon, but the chaplain suddenly interrupted him and said, Before you make that speech, please read out the names. The suspense is awful. So he read out the first name. Reuben Johnson will come and get his pardon. He held it out, but nobody came forward. He said to the warden, are all the prisoners here? The warden told him they were all there. He said again, Reuben Johnson will come and get his pardon. It is signed and sealed by the governor. He is a free man. 
No one moved. The chaplain looked right down where Reuben was. He was well known. He'd been there for 19 years. Many were looking around at Reuben to see this fortunate man that had gotten his pardon. Finally, the chaplain had caught his eye and said, Reuben, you are the man. Reuben turned and looked behind him. <laughs> he thought that there must be some other Reuben in the room. The chaplain said the second time, Reuben, you're the man. And the second time he looked around, he's still thinking that it's got to be somebody else, not him. He had to say it three times. Reuben, come and get your pardon. At last, the truth began to steal over the old man. He got up. He came along down the hall, trembling from head to foot. And when he got the pardon, he looked at it and went back to his seat. He buried his face in his hands and just wept. When the prisoners got into the ranks to go back to the cells, Reuben jumped up and got right in the ranks with them. And the, the chaplain had to call out, Reuben, get out of the ranks. You're not a prisoner anymore. You're a free man. Reuben stepped out. He didn't know what it was like to be free. Mr. Moody went on to say that is the way men make out pardons. They make them out for good character or good behavior. But God makes out pardons for men who have not got any character. He offers a pardon to every sinner on earth if he will take it. I do not care who he is or what he is like. He may be the greatest libertine that ever walked the streets or the greatest blackguard who ever lived or the greatest drunkard or thief or vagabond. Christ commissioned his disciples to preach the gospel to every preacher. That's the thought that I would like to direct our attention to this evening. The simple thought, procuring a pardon. You see, it has to do with everyone here this evening. These two simple verses that we have read from Isaiah is one of the clearest invitations of the gospel that you'll find anywhere in the Old Testament. It tells us of a pardon. A pardon that is available to sinful man tells us of the great importance of time and timing in obtaining that pardon that's been offered. Do we need a pardon? Should I ask the question, do you need a pardon this evening? I want us to look at a few simple and clear principles out of these two verses in God's Word that might be applied because you see here this evening everyone under the sound of my voice you are either in need of that pardon right now in your life or if you've already received your pardon then you've been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to carry that pardon to others each and every one of us and we might ask ourselves first of all what is the purpose of a pardon. What is it for? Well, the word, if you look it back in the Hebrew, this translated pardon there, 
is the word salak, and it literally means to forgive, pardon, or to spare from something. Now, I've looked up in several dictionaries, and you're welcome to read the definitions afterwards if you'd like to, but I'm not going to take you back and just bore you with the definitions, but I've summarized them, if you would, from the definitions that I took from at least three different dictionaries, and to summarize it, a pardon is this. A pardon is the act of a superior, sovereign, executive power who has the right to punish but chooses rather to show mercy on a person that's already been judged guilty by discharging from that penalty, by releasing him from his punishment, by forgiving for that offense, by waiving, by sovereign prerogative, the execution of the prescribed punishment for the crime or the offense. Now, you can read pages. I mean, the encyclopedic dictionary had almost a whole page. But when you break it down and when you summarize it down, that's what it's all about. And you know one thing that's interesting as we look at that definition? The definition itself implies that in order for a pardon to be issued, someone has to be guilty of a punishable crime. Who stands in need of a pardon today. If a pardon is what we describe it to be, if its purpose is to give to someone that is guilty already, that has been sentenced already, but to forego the punishment that is due them, who needs it? Well, that's my second point. Not only the purpose of a pardon, but the person needing who needs it? Well, the simple answer is whoever's guilty. If we're guilty, then we need the pardon. Now, our passage here doesn't name any names. I didn't see my name in there, and I didn't see your name in there, but it sure does describe the person it's speaking of. And it uses two words. Notice that if you look back there, he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now, Anybody enjoy being called wicked? <laughs> what does wicked mean? Well, it literally means to be morally wrong. Notice this. The word in the Hebrew means an actively bad person. Now keep that in mind, an actively bad person, because you see what it really comes back to is bad actions, wrong action. It can be translated damned, guilty, ungodly, wicked, people that have done the wrong thing. And he used the word unrighteous, unrighteous, not righteous, not right. The word unrighteous here in your Bible, it comes from a word, from a root that means to pant. To exert oneself usually in vain that comes to nothing. It literally means nothingness, trouble, vanity. In other words, it's, it's kind of like me after uh, I've run up a, a, a hill or a mountain or something, <gasps> just panting, but for nothing. What he's saying here is the wicked ways, the active ways, and the unrighteous thoughts. 
Most of our thoughts are vanity. I mean, we're just working away many times in our head, and it's getting us nowhere. You see, the person that needs this pardon is the one that's described as wicked in their ways and unrighteous in their thoughts. Many times we think, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I really, I mean, I wouldn't intentionally hurt anyone else. I try to do what I can for all the good causes and things like this. Well, just in case that you can't think of one act that you've ever committed, he includes the thoughts. Thought, a wrong thought. Who are the wicked and the unrighteous? Well, Jeremiah described it this way in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. He said, the heart, not speaking about that which pumps the blood, but the heart of man, the soul of man, that within, the real you that lives in that body. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it quite a sobering thought when you stop and think about it. Our own heart being deceitful and not just wicked, but the Bible says desperately wicked. The prophet Isaiah who we're reading here, he says in Isaiah 64, 6, he says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. In other words, if we took all the right about us, all of our righteousness, and we put it all together, ESC in comparison to a holy God, all the right in us is like a pile of dirty rags. That's what it amounts to. Who do these verses describe? Well, if you turn to my favorite book, do I have to tell you where? Romans chapter 3. We find probably one of the clearest descriptions of man in his natural sinful state that you can find anywhere in the Word of God. And of course, he's quoting here from the book of Psalms and part of this and whatnot. Notice he begins in verse 9, and he says, what then? Are we better than they? No. In no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, an open grave. You know, the Bible speaks of whitened sepulchers with dead bones on the inside. 
They're walking around, but there's nothing alive within. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. Notice he says in verse 18, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, he saith to them who are under the law. Why? That every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man in his natural state. The Bible says he doesn't have the understanding. He doesn't have the desire to seek after God. If he had any desire, he wouldn't know which way to go to find God. We find that the Bible makes it very clear when he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, we prefer to measure ourselves on the scales with somebody else. We can always find somebody else whom we're just a bit better than they are. And if you look very hard, even if you're a non-Christian, find another Christian that if you want to put yourself on the scales, you can say, well, I do better than that. Look at this in their life and that in their life and something else in their life. But the truth is, is our righteousness isn't measured against other people, all have sinned. Whatever tag, whatever you might call yourself, wherever you might have been from, all of us have missed the mark, the glory of God. We've come short of His glory. The truth is that if we look at these passages, who is it that needs a pardon this evening? And I say to you, every one of us, every one of us. No human being excluded. Sin is the culprit. And I've said many times, and I just remind you once again this evening, if we could only grasp the true horrors of sin, of what sin does, of what one sin of disobedience did in the Garden of Eden, God gave us a choice. You know, if he hadn't given you a choice, you'd have been just like that computer sitting on your desk. He could have just programmed you to do what he wanted you to do. You could have been another mechanical thing, and that would have been it. But if you're going to have the choice to love, you've got to have the choice not to love. The choice to obey brings with it the choice to disobey. Man didn't have to sin. Man made the choice to sin. 
every time I sin. And yes, your pastor sins every day that he lives. And you know the sad thing? I make the choice, Brother Chris. I choose it. I choose it. Now, you know, I don't, I don't want to go around being a sinner. But I'm saying every time that we get something wrong, we had the option not to. We made the wrong choice in the flesh. That's why we so desperately need the mind of Christ. That's why we so desperately need the Holy Spirit within us to guide us, to direct us each step of the way because we'll continually get it wrong. I say that we are all guilty before God and without a pardon, we all face judgment. So we see the purpose of a pardon. We see the person of a pardon. I want you to notice third this evening the power to grant the pardon. The power to grant it. Remember back when we looked at what a pardon was? It takes somebody in authority. Who has the authority or the power to offer this pardon that is needed for mine and your sins? Well, again, I take you right back to the passage that we just looked at. There's two names that you'll find in there that can grant this pardon. He says, Seek ye the Lord. Notice that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And notice down in verse 7, Let him return unto the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Lord. The word Lord here, when it's spelled that way in your Bible, it speaks of the self-existent and eternal one. It speaks of Jehovah God. It is the personal name of God that was given. Jehovah the Lord. And the word that's translated God right there in that passage is the word Elohim, the one you find right back in Genesis when God created everything that one. He's the same one that has the authority. He's the one that we're accountable to because he's the one that created and put us here in the first place. And that word Elohim, it's not just coincidence. It is the plural form of Eloah. It literally means God's plural. It's specifically used of the supreme God. It's used in speaking of his magisterial role, his role of judgment because of his authority that he holds. Why? Why does the Bible use this word Elohim when the world was created? Why does it use it here? Because he's speaking of God, Jehovah God. In all of the Godhead and all that he is, we find that he alone has the power to grant this pardon. Jehovah God, the one and only true God. And his personal name is Jehovah. God in three persons. God who is supreme. He is the great and mighty judge of all because he created all that exists. He alone has power. The same one that was there in the beginning, the same one that created all that exists, the same one that keeps it here is the only one 
that can grant that pardon to you and I today. Now in Romans 3, where we read there a few moments ago, you notice in verses 19 and 23 that we read about this one whom we are all found guilty before. The Greek word there in the New Testament is the word theos. We use it. We use all kind of things from that. It's where we get our word theology when we speak of the, of the study of God. It speaks of the supreme divinity. And again, it's used figuratively of a magistrate. It literally means the very exceeding God. <laughs> There's nothing that surpasses Him. There's no one that surpasses Him. You see, every one of us are already judged guilty before God. No exceptions. I'm in the same boat as every one of you. Everybody that's lived the same judgment. The penalty for sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember again, when we go right back to the garden, the Bible teaches us that when sin entered in, what came with it at the same time? Death. There was no death. Death did not exist before sin existed. Death is the penalty of sin. You can't have sin can't have sin and have life. Sin brings death. If God, you've heard me say it before, if God let you, the most upright moral person in all the world, I mean, you've, done, you've lived a lot better life than a lot of those quote-unquote Christians have, and yet one sin, one sin, in action or thought, one sin, you realize heaven could no longer exist. Sin entered and death came with it. Sin cannot, heaven cannot exist with sin there. It's an impossibility. God gave us the choice to love and to be loved. Each and every one of us must make that choice for ourselves. So there's only one that can offer us a pardon. There's only one that can prevent our execution because we're already judged guilty. The sentence for the crime is already set. We simply need Him to show us mercy today. We need His mercy. Everyone under the sound of my voice needs a pardon. And it's only by that pardon that you can escape the death sentence that's been placed upon each and every one of us as a result of our sin. Now, to some, that may make them nervous. But you see, no. What did he say to us about the law there? The law is there for the purpose so that we can see and know that we're sinners. And we can understand. God doesn't want us to be sinners. God doesn't want anything. So he's done everything that's necessary. He wants to give you a pardon today. He does not want you to face the very punishment that is required for the sin in your own life find that he's made a way. We see the purpose of the pardon. 
We see the person that needs the pardon. We see the power to grant that pardon. Fourthly, this evening, I want to say there are some prerequisites. What can you do to procure that pardon for yourself? Well, these verses tell us very clearly. He says, first of all, seek ye the Lord. Seek ye the Lord. The word seek there means to tread frequently means to follow in pursuit. It means to diligently inquire, to search, to make inquisition. Ask something of. Seek ye the Lord. You see, most of the world has no desire to seek God. It is only through God's grace that by His Spirit that that desire can be there in the first place to know Him. Seek ye the Lord, someone is serious. They're not playing games. They're serious about finding the Lord. But notice that he says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. If he's telling us to seek while he can be found, that implies just as assuredly that he can't always be it implies that there is something very essential about seeking Him while He can found. Now, keep that in mind. Notice the second thing that He says there is call ye upon Him while He is near. Call. It literally means to call out. It means to address by name. It means to, to cry unto, to invite I know what that word means easier than I can describe it because you know what? I remember the day in my own life. I remember. I remember first of all as an 11-year-old boy when I first realized that I wanted to be a Christian. And I was sincere and genuine when I asked God to forgive me of my sins. But you know, I, I went away from that. And I'm not proud of that. But you know what I, I can remember as a 21-year-old young man? I can remember. I can remember that day when God spoke to me through that message. I can't remember one word that I spoke, Brother Carl. Not one. But I remember crying out to God from everything within me. I knew. I knew that I was a sinner. There was no question about it. But I came to realize again in my life that morning that God didn't want me there. He didn't want me to pay the consequences from that sin. That was something that I had chosen myself because He gave me the choice. He had to give me the choice. If I had the choice to follow, I had to have the choice not to follow. You've heard me use the illustrations before. You can't measure darkness. You can only measure light. There comes a point where you can measure no more lumens. You can't get any darker. It's the light that has to be measured. You can't measure cold. You can only measure the heat. There comes a point where there is no heat. 
But you can't measure any farther than that because you can't get any colder than that. You can only measure how much or how little heat is there, how much or how little lightness is there. Folks, when we look around this world, God has given us the choices as human beings. He gave you a will. He gave you the option to make a choice for Him or for this world, what you wanted to do with it. The problems in this world is not because God wants them there. Because of a lack of God. It's like a lack of heat. A lack of light. That's why there's so much darkness. That's why there's so much coldness. You see, I, I, I don't... There, there is no magical words that you have to say. But he says, call unto the Lord. Folly is near. See, God come knocking on my heart's door that, that Sunday morning, Chris. He was near. And I knew he was near. And I know that not with the words of my mouth, but from everything within me, I was screaming out to God. I wanted to be forgiven. I wanted to be right with the one that had created me and put me here. And yes, I've let him down many times, but with everything within me. That's what he's talking about. Calling out to him from within. We find that there's one other requirement there. You see, Timing is so critical. I want to give you just a couple of verses, and I don't have time to explain all this because my time is almost gone. Listen, why is it so critical? Why is it so critical that we seek Him while He can be found, that we call upon Him while He's near? Well, maybe just to give you a hint. Romans chapter 3, verse 11 that we read earlier said, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. You know, the truth is, in yourself, you may have no desire to, to, to find God anymore tomorrow. If you've got that desire today, it doesn't mean that you'll have it tomorrow, Brother Neil. The Bible says that in your own self, you won't have that desire. John chapter 6, verse 44, no man can come to me, Jesus here, except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus says nobody is going to come to him unless he draws them. Now listen, if you sit under my preaching at all, you know that I'm not fatalistic. I don't believe that God has decided ahead of time, this one's going to heaven, this one's going to hell. This one's going to heaven, this one's going to hell. But I believe in a sovereign God and a God that's in control and a God that's not caught by surprise. And I believe this absolutely from everything that the Word of God teaches. Unless God moves on your heart and draws you, you will never, ever become a Christian. It's by God's grace that you can come to recognize that you can have a desire to even know God. His Spirit drawing you. He says in John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8, He says, Nevertheless, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is expedient. That means really important, right? It is expedient for you, for your benefit, that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You see, Jesus said it's necessary that I go away. Because there's something that you need. 
And it's that one, that comforter, that paraclete, that one to come alongside you. And unless I go away, he's not going to come. You see, Jesus Christ was here in his one human body. Why did he say in that same, uh, back in chapter 14, two chapters before that, greater than these shall ye do because I go unto the Father. That was Jesus talking. How could we do greater works than him? Because of him doing those works through you and through the person sitting beside you and through every believer on the face of the earth. No longer just one body walking the earth. But God present within each and every one. And if anything good is to be seen in us, it needs to be that him, God, Jesus Christ, in the person of the Holy Spirit shining through from us because he lives and dwells within us. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised that the Holy Spirit will still be dealing with our hearts. If God has given you opportunity and you reject it and say, No, I don't want it, then there's no promise that he would come back and offer that to you again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 to 12. Have you ever had those that think, well, I'll get it right someday. And I mean, you know, these Christians talk about all these things that are going to happen. Well, one day I'll know. I mean, you know, suddenly if all these Christians are, boom, yanked up out of here, buddy, I'll know what they're talking about was the truth then. <laughs> 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verses 8 to 12 says this, And then shall that wicked be revealed, speaking of the Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in him that perish, or in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, man wants to play games with God. Well, after you prove yourself to me, then I'll believe you. He's saying, I believe based upon this passage right here. I believe that if you happen to be one of the unfortunate ones that are left behind when the church is out of here, I don't see if you've already rejected Jesus Christ during this time, I don't see you having another opportunity after the church is gone. You see, you chose. You made your choice. Now, I would say that if, by the other token, if you did not know the truth, if you'd never heard the gospel, then yes, that opportunity might be there. But the Bible speaks of men being deceived. One of the passages in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We can look at many places. 
But I'm saying this scripture, this clear presentation of this pardon that God is wanting to give, it says to seek for him while he can be found, to call upon him while he is near. Timing is important. The third requirement here is simply genuine repentance. Now, we could spend a lot of time there, but we're told two things that must be forsaken here. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the wicked forsake his way. The wickedness clearly has to do with our ways, with our actions, with those external things that are happening with us. We've got to be willing to turn away from those wicked actions. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, that unrighteousness, that wrong thinking. You see, it's not just the outward ways that must be forsaken. But he says here the unrighteous thoughts that are taking place in our head. It comes from within. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, the natural man's thoughts are nothingness. They're vanity. They're trouble. We need the mind of Christ. Genuine repentance is a change of mind that brings about a change of direction. You see, in its simplest form, we recognize sin for what it is. We see it as God sees it. We understand that. And we don't want anything to do with it. We turn from that to follow Jesus. Can I say this clearly? And if you want me to take the Word of God, it is impossible. It is totally impossible to follow the Lord Jesus Christ without genuine repentance. You can't hang on to the world with one hand and reach out to Jesus with the other. It can't be. He says to forsake those wicked ways, and to forsake those unrighteous thoughts. Turn your back on those old paths of what they were and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. A man named Samuel Holmes, he was in the Frankfort, Kentucky jail, and he was undergoing punishment for murder, and he received a visit from an old schoolmate of his, by the name of Lucian, Lucian Young. Now, the Kentucky legislator had recorded some years previous that this friend, this Lucian Young, had done some real feat of bravery, and he had rescued several lives from a wrecked vessel, putting his own life in danger at the time. But Young was moved by Holmes' condition. And so he personally went to the governor of the state, Governor Blackburn, and he asked for a pardon. Well, the governor wasn't so sure Samuel Holmes deserved a pardon, but he was willing to grant one because of Lucian Young. And he granted the pardon on behalf of Lucian Young and what he had done. Lucian Young went to the, back to the jail, and he had the pardon right there in his pocket. And he went in and he was trying to decide how he was going to break the news to his old school friend from those years ago that he had his pardon, that he was going to be a free man. But he got into the conversation, and he asked him this question. He said, Sam, if you were turned loose and fully pardoned today, 
what would be the first thing you'd do? Sam looked at him, eyes all fiery. He said, I'd go back to Lancaster and I'd kill that Judge Owsley that put me in here and I'd kill that chief witness that testified against me. Young couldn't believe his ears. He turned and he left his friend Samuel behind. He walked outside the door and he took the pardon out of his pocket and he tore it into bits. You see, there'd been no repentance. Pardons don't come without repentance. Pardons don't come. We don't always deserve the pardon. You'll get the pardon on behalf of what Jesus Christ did, not what you've done. But are you willing to turn? If we who desperately need a pardon, and we need it now while we have the opportunity, while there's still time, there's only one that we can go to to get that pardon from, calling out to him for help, genuinely forsaking our wicked ways and our unrighteous thoughts, what's the result? I give you that in closing. You see, we saw the purpose of the pardon. The person that needed the pardon. The power to grant that pardon. The prerequisite of that pardon. But finally, we have the promise of that pardon. If you will do those simple things, do you know what? He will have mercy, it says here. He says in verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. It doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've said in the past. I'm saying that if you're willing, if you're willing to seek the Lord with your heart, if you're willing to call upon Him with your heart, if you're willing to turn away from your wicked sin and turn and follow the one that died for you, that shed His blood, that took your punishment of death already, He will have mercy. He won't turn you away. He will abundantly pardon, and that's what He wants for you. The facts are simple. You're guilty and I'm guilty. We're already judged before God, and the sentence is death. We need a pardon to avoid the execution that awaits us. There's only one that has the power to grant that pardon. We must seek Him. We must seek Him while He can be found. We must call upon Him while He is near. The timing is extremely of utmost importance. We've got to genuinely forsake our wicked ways and our unrighteous thoughts and turn to follow Him. If you'll do that, now while there's still time, He will have mercy. He will abundantly pardon. But pardon has got to come before judgment day. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I'm not going to turn and read it. I don't know that there would be anybody here that hasn't heard it before. Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 to 15 is a full description of the great white throne. The last verse in verse 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life 
was cast into the lake of fire. Now is the accepted time. Do it while he can be found. Do it while he is near. Adam appeared in on May the 2nd, 1985, not, you know, not a million years ago. And it appeared in the Kansas City Times newspaper. And it reminds us of something that's often forgotten about pardons. It was an attempt with some fans of O. Henry, the famous short story writer, to get a pardon for his sins that were committed back in 1898 when he embezzled $748 or $784.08 from a bank that he was working for. But you know what they found out? It was hopeless. Because you can't give a pardon to a dead man. He must be able to accept it. Back in 1830, George Wilson was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail and he was sentenced to be hanged. The president at that time was President Andrew Jackson. He issued a pardon for Wilson, but Wilson refused to accept it. The matter went to the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court who concluded that Wilson would have to be executed. And he said this statement. He said, a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it's refused, it's no pardon. George Wilson had to be hanged, even though the pardon had been signed and sealed and all he had to do was accept it. But when he wouldn't accept it, was not a pardon. I leave you with this verse in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Shelley comes to the piano. You see, these verses, the thing that spoke to my heart so clearly there was this simple truth. You know, because of sin, because of sin, we all have a terrible judgment. And sin must be judged. But God, the same God here that was the same God that started it all, that's why I'm accountable to Him. Wouldn't be here without Him. That same God, Jehovah God, the only true God, He said, I'll give you a pardon because I'm the only one that has the authority to do it. He says, I'll give it to you. If you'll seek me while I can be found. If you'll call upon me while I'm near. If you'll turn from those wicked ways, forsake them, and forsake those unrighteous thoughts. He says, I will have mercy, and I will abundantly pardon. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for every human being. And if you're here this evening, if you've never accepted the pardon, listen. It's already been signed and sealed. It was taken care of at Calvary. It's been signed and sealed for you. But you know, some people miss out on the pardon. Because of the timing. Some miss out because they're dead. They don't get it in time. Some miss out because they don't accept it. It's not received. 
God has done it for you. But only you can accept your pardon. What a loving God we have. He wants so very much for you not to have to pay the penalty. But he was willing to pay it all. He was willing to take that cross in your stead. To die the death. So that right here, tonight, you can be completely pardoned. and Never have to face that judgment for yourself. Father, you know the hearts of each one here this evening. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for even as this preacher was reading these verses again, Lord, restoring in me and reminding me of your great love for all of us. And also, Lord, of the great responsibility that we have for the many around us. Lord, they need the pardon carried to them. And I pray, Lord, as we sing this closing hymn tonight, you would work in hearts here tonight as only you can. In Christ's name, every head bowed, every eye closed, just before we sing, one simple question. Are you here this evening, by God's grace, some way, somehow, in maybe one of these verses, in something that he's brought to you here this evening, you would slip your hand up, maybe as a lost person that needs to be saved, maybe as a Christian that's realized that, wow, you know, God has done a pretty awesome thing here. But I have a great responsibility to get it to the people that I care for, my family, my friends, the people I work with. If God has spoken to you, would you slip your hand up and say, pray for me this evening? God bless your hands. God sees your hands. Father, you see each and every one of these hands. I pray that you would work in the hearts as only you can. And I pray, Lord, that each and every person as we leave here this evening, in some way, would be changed by what you've done in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.